This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, July 5th, 2023 edition, and I hope all of you had a wonderful holiday yesterday. And when 4th of July comes, that means that summer has officially arrived in all parts, you know, all parts of the, the Northern Hemisphere. And I'm sure for a lot of you, air conditioning is in order nowadays. But, you know, investors who enjoy comfort while they strategize how to manage their portfolios are, uh, are many of you. Now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm here today to help you become a better investor as always, giving you data and perspective with over, with over 20 years of investment experience. And on today's podcast, I'm going to blend my comments with what you, the listener, provide in the way of questions and topics that you set the table with, with your calls. Now, we don't pre-screen our live calls. We take them as they come and to take what you throw at us and live and in real time. So we don't have a hidden agenda. We're here to encourage you to Make the most of your capital and your time, and you do that by eliminating counterproductive habits, like letting emotions seep seep into your thought process, and refraining from chasing headlines and chasing returns. You know, I, I love the old saying: "It's a you can chase returns, but you'll never catch it." That's I I I, I find that to be extraordinarily true. And so this is really about helping you take that next step in your journey of financial freedom. And that means the phone line never closes. It's 888-99-CHART. And we're ready for whatever you, you have. Maybe you were at a, an event yesterday and you were talking about something. Maybe something sparked your interest and you have a question that comes to mind. We love this. I love to hear kind of the, those real-time experiences and thoughts that come through all of your heads. And my focus point today looks at the story behind this question, how you develop your retirement investing roadmap. We're going to look at that. I also have some, some data on how actual near retirees and retirees are investing. I think that's going to be very interesting. Uh, one is uh, that's so that's one of the other uh, focus points that we're going to look at. Also, are we having an American factory boom? Well, on Monday, the Commerce Department reported May construction construction spending figures, and you'll be probably a little bit surprised on what they are showing. And then lastly, remember when everyone was saying that working from home was more productive? Well, you're starting to see studies that are saying that's not really true. So we're going to look at that and see how is that going to impact work-life balance and ultimately how these companies are structuring their workforce, both in office and out. We also have some voice questions to answer. One is on Markel Group and the other is 
LMT Lockheed Martin. So we have all this planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, your live calls, most importantly, at 888 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today. It was a, a negative day. Not shocked. We were into a little bit of resistance and we're entering a bit of a choppy period. Small caps definitely underperformed today, most of all. You had the, the small caps down about 1%, the large caps down about 0.25%, about a quarter of a percent. Mid caps right in between that, about a half a percent. So, you know, Monday was a light volume trading session, and it's not uncommon to see markets up in that environment, but today was a, a modest pullback, but we still remain near 52 week highs for the broader indices. So uh, still have to be relatively bullish over the, the medium term, but it does not mean you can't have a short-term setback here this week or next. Now let's head over to our first voice bank question at 888.99 chart. Hey guys, how's it going? Connor here from Florida. Just wondering if there was um, a play in natural gas right now. It looks like most of the charts are bottoming out. I was specifically looking at the company UNG and was wondering if there was some sort of play and just wanted to hear what you guys thought about it. But, uh, thank you guys for the show. I appreciate it a lot. Well, first off, UNG is not a company. This is an ETF that tracks natural gas. And so you're getting exposure here, but there are costs. They, they invest in futures contracts of natural gas. And there are costs to rolling those contracts month after month. And that's why it is a horrible long-term investment to be buying UNG. Now, if you want to uh, buy it for a short trade and get exposure to those futures, that can be fine. Uh, but if you look at the split adjusted price from when it started back in 2007, it was at $1,600 per share. And they've had a lot of reverse splits since then. Now it's at $7.11. So it just continues to kill capital. And this goes back to what I always say is understand what you own, understand why you own it. And if you're bullish on natural gas, that's fine. And I, I would say, yes, we are at levels where I think uh, it's uber cheap and, and probably headed higher. But I always say with the in the commodity space, it's almost always better to get exposure to the companies, the best run companies within the space. So I'd be looking at the natural gas companies that will benefit from higher prices and that aren't, you know, holding it isn't a cost of, of rolling options month after month like it is with a lot of these commodity-based ETFs. So buying the best run within the industry, the ones that will benefit maybe the most because of higher underlying commodity prices, in this case, uh, natural gas, there are plenty of those out there that uh, have m are mainly focused on just producing natural gas. And that's what I'd be going with, not the UNG. And uh, once again, reminder, always know what you own. This is like our Monday show. I thought there was a great question on one of those closed-end funds. If you want to go back and look at the Monday show about how, oh, there's this closed-end fund yielding 12 13%. And it looks like that on the surface, but when you look under the hood, you see that that was a lot of it was just return of capital, return of your own money to you. And your principal was going down, and you weren't really earning much on, on your money. And so I, you know, I hear this constantly, is you really have to dial in what you own, why you own it, 
track that over time and make sure that remains the same. Now we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Or if you're listening via the live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888 chart When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap, because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99 CHART. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. 888 99Chart, 889924278. how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, my focus point today looks in the story behind this question How have you developed a retirement roadmap? And this is always very important because. You know, in retirement, there there are a lot of moving parts. You're, and and there's a lot less room for things to go wrong. When you're younger or you're employed, things can go wrong and you have the ability and the time to recover. But the most successful retirement plans are typically not overly complicated, but they need to change with the times to avoid any of those major problems, Right. And be responsive to changes in the market environment as well as your own situation. Now, there are a few key tasks that you have to go over. The first is to adjust your expenses. Understand that in retirement, you're not going to have the same type of spending habits. Right? You're going to lower your spending on work, transportation, and, and clothing, eating lunches, things like that. And you're going to increase it on travel and healthcare. So. Uh, hit, uh, the studies show that higher income uh, replacement rates are actually much lower than those of lower income counterparts. Meaning, if you make a good amount of money, you know you typically are able to trim a lot of fat from your budget in retirement, as opposed to lower income counterparts. They've already trimmed a lot of that fat, so it's about understanding where that is going to go and what your lifestyle is going to be in retirement. And making sure you have enough money for major outlays like new car, uh, maybe a travel budget in certain years that are high, things like that. Now, then you have to look at your guaranteed income. For most people, it's going to be Social Security. You probably want to maximize that as much as possible. That's why delaying Social Security is not the right answer for everybody. But for most people, it's well worth trying to do that. And if you have... A pension, you know, think about what the ability to annuitize it is. You have to look at that. Uh, most 
employers who have a pension program, they, you're allowed to annuitize it. Sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. It just depends on what that annuitization looks like. So you want to at least take a look at that. And then maybe a fixed annuity for certain people to get over that, 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 those base expenses. Right? That's what really your guaranteed income uh, thought process should be is how do I get to covering most of my baseline living expenses, housing, food, utilities, health insurance, uh, et cetera. If you can get mostly or all the way there, that's a, a good baseline. Okay, And then don't rule out trying to work a little bit. And more and more workers are actually doing this. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Forecasts, People over the age of 55 will compose 25% of the workforce next year. That's up from 22% in 2014. And this helps a lot because you're reducing your portfolio withdrawal. You are often able to save more. You're able to delay Social Security a little bit more. And even enable additional contributions to those retirement accounts. The issue with this is that you probably shouldn't plan on it because eight in 10 workers in 2019 said they plan to work for pay in retirement, not volunteer, but actually work for pay. In reality, only 28% actually do. Okay. And four in 10 retirees retired earlier than they expected because of health issues, physical demands of their job, uh, health issues for their spouse oftentimes. And so it should be something you should think about it and try to do it from, for most people helps cognitively and and all those uh, financial reasons, reasons, but working longer shouldn't be the central viable uh, part of your financial plan. Then it's about that, that withdrawal rate typically 4% still is pretty accurate for most people. But once again, you have to adjust uh, based on your own lifestyle and pay attention to taxes. Usually you want to defer taking out of money from your Roth IRA for as long as possible. You want to prioritize your tax deferred accounts like IRA, 401k first. That's what you probably want to take money out of. Obviously you have to take into account the tax implications. Um, but talk to your CPA about that. And then right size your portfolio risk. Have a bucket strategy is a good, is a good kind of rule of thumb. Your expenses one to two years out should probably be cash-like instruments, high-yield, FDIC-insured money market accounts, uh, CD, ladders, things like that. Medium-term, three to maybe five to seven years, that's more of your high-quality bonds, not taking a ton of risk, but some risk to get a little more return. And then beyond seven years, that's when you can start thinking about uh, stocks. And then, obviously, succession plans, your uh, estate plan, just something basic is all you really need. Most people need, uh, but you definitely want to take that into account and make sure you're planning for it. Now we're heading into a break. I welcome your finance and investment questions now. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda, so give it Invest Talk a call at 888 chart Got a question for Steve or Justin? Uh, I think there's likely a pullback here uh, in, the, in the offing. Now is a good time to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART.
of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hi, this is Adrian calling from Texas, and my question was about ticker symbol WOLF, W-O-O-F, that's Petco. It's been really good at being bad. It's been going down, 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 down. And my question is, when, if ever, in the foreseeable near future, would be a good time to get in? Well, you don't want to get in until it starts to gain some positive momentum. And like you said, it just continues to make a series of lower highs and, and lower lows. And that's not a technical setup that you want to get in front of. Now, their business is certainly not terrible. I know that they've been trying to trying to put more like vet facilities within their operations and trying to expand their business that way. Uh, clearly, they've struggled to make that into a truly viable part of their business that is additive as, as opposed to taking away and it looks so far like they've been it's been taking away uh because their gross margins sorry their net their operating margins have declined over the last year from about four and a half all the way down to 3.3 and if you look at earnings they made 91 cents in 2022 uh last year they, they, they have a different uh, fiscal year but uh last fiscal year they made 72 cents let's make only 43 cents this year down 41 percent it's a nine dollar stock so it's 20 times forward-looking earnings, basically, and it continues to shrink in profitability. Revenues continue to go up at a mid-single-digit pace, but earnings the last six quarters have been down about 20% plus every single quarter year over year. So clearly, they are struggling financially, and let me take a look at their, do they have any debt? Yeah, they have a good amount of debt on their balance sheet, about $1.6 billion. So I don't think they're going to go bankrupt anytime soon because there's still positive cash flow. Their uh, times interest earned is still 1.6, but it's not. A, it's a name that I've looked at throughout for the last few years because I like the pet business, but their operations just don't seem to uh, live up to what you would imagine with a, a pet uh, a company that's so widely known. So I would pass on it until you get some positive momentum, both on the business side and the technicals, and neither are happening. So I would certainly pass on it. All right, let's talk a little bit about the factory boom that's going on here in America. And the Commerce Department reported on Monday that construction spending was overall up 0.9% month over month. And spending on construction of manufacturing facilities that was up 1% month over month as well from uh, April to May. But on a year over year basis, it's up 76.3%. 76.3% year over year. And the Commerce Department figures show that spending on manufacturing structures came to nearly 0.5% of GDP. That's the most since 1991. That was in the first quarter. And in the second quarter that we just ended, it looks like it's going to take an even larger share of GDP. Now, why is this happening? Very simple. Industrial policy. 
the Chips and Science Act and the Inflation Reduction Act that were passed last year. The Chips Act includes incentives for investing in semiconductor production, while the Inflation Reduction Act pushes on electric vehicles and domestically uh, produced content. So what's so, I would say, striking about this boom is that the manufacturing sector as a whole is not really that healthy. The ISM management survey came out and the index of manufacturing activity fell to 46 in June from 46.9 the month before. And anything under 50 is shrinking. So it was shrinking in May and shrinking even more in June. So what happens when the demand for manufactured goods actually increases? There's going to be even more demand for building manufacturing facilities. And so I, this is really, it's really impressive. Uh, and it's something I don't think enough people are talking about. And the whole deglobalization continues to, I wouldn't say it's rear its ugly head, but it, it's, it's, it's moving along. It's boring. It doesn't sound very exciting. It's a B2B type of trend, which that's what most investors are not focusing on. They're focusing on B2C type of trends because that's their consumers and that's what they look at and they know. But the reality is manufacturing facilities, at least the production of them are booming. And obviously I know people in the manufacturing biz and they see the writing on the wall with China and they see that they need to bring manufacturing back at least to North America. So I'm talking about the US, I'm talking about Mexico, but this data is just talking about the US. So really impressive, uh, really turn of events. And when the government goes and spends and gives these incentives, it can have a big impact and it is. <clears throat> now we're heading to a break, but I'm here and ready to answer your questions on Invest Talk at 888 chart At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E dot com hacker one dot com the stock market is volatile 
It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Gentlemen, it's John from Texas. Thanks for the show. Question on charts. You know, stockcharts.com, I guess is a good place to go. Kind of hard to do on a, on a mobile device, but like on a computer, if I'm looking to identify the 200-day moving average, the 50-day moving average, I think y'all like to use the 100. Maybe Justin said that. There's two two options. There's like an interval and a range. They go down to like a one-minute, five-minute, one-day, one-month. But there's two selections to kind of zoom out or zoom into the chart. I'm confused of what I should set that at in order to identify those accurately and maybe currently. So, again, I think it's interval and range. There's two different time frames you adjust. And then all that does is change the the moving averages. So I, where, where, where do you recommend we set those to be able to identify the numbers we're looking for? Thank you. All right, I believe what you're setting you're looking at is whether it's going to take the average of the current interval. So if you're looking at, uh, for example, a daily chart, it might it's going to give you the 50 day, right? Take 50 days of closing prices and average that out. And that's going to get your moving average. Whereas you go to a weekly chart, then that's going to take the weekly close over 50 weeks and you have a 50 week moving average. Uh, so I believe that's what it's asking and that's what I want to go with because I, I want to make sure that that's always consistent based on what I'm looking at. If I'm looking at a weekly, a daily, a 10 minute chart, a monthly chart, I want to know what the 50 period moving average is. And that's really what you're looking at is a 50 a period or 100 period or 200 period and it depends on how the how that chart how that data is plotted and that's really what charts are right it's just plotting uh the data over time so i hope i answered your question uh i don't we don't we obviously use a very we use a e-signal and it's a very advanced uh, professional version we don't use stockcharts.com but that's the way we want to look at it all right now, every now and then, I like to play two in a row, so let's do that now. And here's a caller question that came in earlier from Washington State on 888-99-CHART. Hello. Thank you guys for the great show. My name is Preet. I'm calling from uh, the state of Washington. Calling in regards for stock ticker AMRC. I have a half position in it. It seems a little expensive right now, but I do like this space. I'd love to get your guys' opinion on it. Thank you again for the great show. Bye. All right, AMRC. How do I say this? Amoresco? Amoresco? A M E R E S C S C O Incorporated. AMRC is the symbol. Now, this really booms in 2020. It went from $16 in April of 2020 all the way to $97.50 in that range, almost $100 in late 2021. Now it's at 47. So it is down 50% from that high. It's still a small cap company, 2.6, 2. what are we? Yeah, 2.5 call it $5 billion market cap. They have a little debt, debt in their balance sheet, but their business, ooh, it's doesn't look fantastic, okay? Uh, now, if you're looking at just the earnings numbers, that looks like pretty solid growth. But last two quarters, 
revenues down 43% and 20% the last two quarters, and then earnings down 92% and 34% the last two quarters as well. Earnings this year is supposed to drop 4%. Rebound next year, but I want to know why. And what this does is they operate, let's see, they provide energy efficient solutions for facilities in North America and Europe. Uh, they focus on projects that reduce energy uh, and focus on operations and maintenance costs for government, educational, utility, healthcare, and other institutions. So they distribute solar panel products and systems. And that is one issue here is that the cost of solar is going up despite these incentives for renewable energy because of China and the way the, the way supply chains are working, uh, the way that we're preventing dirty solar panels from coming into the country, like from China, that's becoming an issue. And I think that's what you're seeing here. So uh, the technicals, let me look at the technicals. <clears throat> yeah, still in a downtrend. It's starting to find a little bit of strength, but if you compare this to other, I would call this a growth year name, right? A small cap growth is, is kind of where it sits and it's been underperforming the small caps. Take a look here. And I don't like that. I don't like the, the, the relative strength here. I don't love the profitability picture. The free cash flow remains negative. Cash from operations remains negative and they have a decent amount of debt. So I'm passing on it. I don't love uh, the trends in the business or the trends in the chart. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about some data that connects to our main focus point today, but this regards to how older Americans are invested. And the, this is coming from various sources. For example, half of nearly half of Vanguard 401k investors actively managing their money and over the age of 55, held more than 70% of their portfolio in stocks. Back in 2011, that was only 38%. Fidelity says nearly four in 10 investors aged 65 to 69 hold about two thirds or more of their portfolio in stocks. And even the older generation, not just boomers, those that are 85 or older have nearly all their money in stocks. That's up from 16% in 2012. So clearly older generation, they, they've gone through the years of seeing markets crash and it kind of comes back and to set new highs. And they've, they've kind of learned, I think, from those experiences. Here's the issue, though, is that when there have been good returns, which over the past you know number of years, there have been inequities, people think that's going to continue. And when they don't right when when stocks crash or pull back which you know maybe they do in the next few years who knows but that's would be a big deflationary force which is probably unlikely um that's when they tend to sell right you you are overconfident when things are going well and it's clear that the older americans continue to feel that way they feel very confident and but we know throughout history that ebbs and flows just simply based on performance and most of those older investors have been investing really since the 80s. And since 82, the average return of the S&P was 10.1% on average. But if you look going back to 1928, that was only 7.4%. So <clears throat> a lot of older investors think that cash and, and bonds are a loser's game when it comes to inflation. 
And I think to some degree they are correct here. But that doesn't mean that a lot of them aren't a little over their skis in risk. Now those over 80, I might say maybe they should be aggressive because maybe that they're, their assets because they're, you know, in their very latter years, that money is probably not earmarked for them. It's probably earmarked for the next of kin, maybe their children or grandchildren. And in that case, probably should be more aggressive. What I worry about are those that are kind of those pre-retirees and early retirees that are over their skis and risk. And it's, it's one of those things where I see this a lot. Just because you're willing to take the risk, right? You have the ability and you're okay with volatility doesn't mean that that is a smart amount of risk to take because you might have plenty of money to invest more moderately or conservatively to produce the amount of income that is necessary for your investment journey and in your, and your, your retirement journey. And you don't want to risk it by taking so much risk in your portfolio that you get a 50% drawdown and suddenly now you can't and you sell at the bottom and now you're focused on income and then you have half, half as much assets. And so just because your capacity for risk personally is high doesn't mean that your risk you should be taking in your retirement plan should be high as well. It's more about matching your end goals of income to where you're at today and where you're going in the future. So I wanted to highlight this because I know a lot of those pre-retirees and, 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 and uh, retirees are a little over their skis in risk. And the data shows it. Well, I want to remind everybody uh, that, hey, it's July. It's July 5th. We're into the third quarter. Yeah, the first half of the year is behind us. And Steve and I have been telling you for a while that we are in a new market environment. And typically the back half of the year is often a very different environment than the first half of the year. That, that's a common occurrence. So it's important for serious investors to understand not just what happened over the past quarter or two quarters or even the last year, but what is likely the future. We talked about protectionism and, and, and the trend towards um, manufacturing here in the U.S. And all of that has ramifications, both positively and negatively for different parts of the market, different parts of uh, different sectors of the economy. And so if you feel like you need help understanding whether your strategy is fit for these times, I encourage you to reach out to myself or CPs at our company, KPP Financial, where we practice parallel investing and we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to head over to investtalk.com and give, uh, or give our office a call at 800-557-5461. And the sooner we can get in touch, the sooner we can help you get your portfolio optimized. Now this is InvestTalk, and now with more than 53.6 million downloads in history, thanks to you. Next up, more market analysis and more answers to your questions, so hang on. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. 
InvestTalk is a free download, 24-7, rain or shine. The InvestTalk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Bill in Palm Desert looking at 3M. Hi, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I've held uh, 3M in a diversified portfolio for a few years now with uh, underwhelming performance and just mm-hmm. wanted your take. I have it for for a little income and I was hoping for a little growth too, but having just want to see what your take on holding it for the future or, or moving on from it and just to see what you think about it. Well, 3M, uh, everyone kind of knows what 3M does. The the biggest issue here is they have some liability issues and some lawsuits that uh, are kind of hanging over them. And they continue to kind of lose the battle here. And that's what really is driving down the, the overall sentiment. Uh, and their business is kind of retrenching as well. If you look pre-pandemic, 2019, earnings were down from 2018. They went from $9.97 to $8.88. That was pre-pandemic. And then obviously 2020, kind of flat earnings, understandable given the economic environment. But they made $10.73 2021, $10.08 last year, but only $8.62 expected this year, down 15%. So if you look kind of through this pandemic environment, where, you know, they had some some tailwinds because of people were buying a lot of physical goods, which 3M uh, products go into. And you can say, okay, what's going to what's happening with their business? 3M, think of 3M post-it notes, people working at home more often, maybe doing that a lot less. Uh, obviously, they have transportation electronic division, they have safety industrial, they have healthcare, they have consumer, and 50% of the revenue comes from outside the Americas. So they're pretty worldwide, but they do have a good amount of debt. They do have that, that issue that's hanging over them and the technicals remain very, very weak. So we've looked at this as well. And it's not, not something that we've wanted to get in front of until there's some sort of technical strength here. And there just hasn't been any, it continues to, to grind lower. So I expect it to go lower. How much lower? I don't know. Does this ultimately smell spell some sort of demise of the company because of these lawsuits. There's potential for that. Um, so I would not be holding it to be honest with you. I would probably move on and wait for, if you want to keep it on your watch list and buy it later at a time when, uh, the company's rebounding as opposed to continue to suffer, then maybe you, you do that, but I wouldn't be holding it right now. Okay. All right. Thanks for the call bill. Yeah. 3M, you know, it's, it's tough because you see these big names and it, like it's a big blue chip company. It's 3M. Their business is solid. And this is just a, a good example of one where you can't just take the name at face value. You really have to understand what's happening with the business. And oftentimes when they have different lines of business, they have a long history. These products that they put out in the past can haunt them potentially. I've seen that here. And litigation issues tend to fester for a long period of time. And it's very uncertain to what the outcome could be. And guess what? The market does not like uncertainty. And so they just sell and wait for some more certainty. And you're still not getting that yet. Okay. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. 
So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. got a portfolio to grow and protect, so get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, I'm a new listener and I just listened today and really enjoyed your discussion and I have a question. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Hopefully, you know, you'd make more off of annuities now. And also, I would be going into fixed annuities, of course, but I know they charge a lot of fees and I've been putting it off, but I'm 64 and I'm retired and need an extra line of money coming in. So I was wondering if a fixed annuity would be good now and also if you would know a good company to go with. Thanks. Bye. Well, I like that you're looking at fixed annuities only, not variable annuities. Uh, I don't think variable, variable annuities have any place almost ever in anyone's plan. Um, now, fixed annuities can be beneficial, uh, like you said, if you're looking for that guaranteed uh, guaranteed amount of income uh, for life. And rates have obviously come up because broad broadly rates uh, across the markets have, have gone up. However... They're still kind of averaging the mid 5% range, which if you think about with inflation, are you really going to be earning above that much more above inflation? You're probably locking in modestly above inflation rates, but you know, compared to what you're getting elsewhere in say high grade corporates, you know, we're getting six and a half, seven percent like you do much better. Uh, obviously that's not hundred percent secured. So there's some risk there, uh, but I don't have a company per se. You always want to look at AMS ratings uh, to say this is a good company that's not going to go bankrupt and 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 stop paying you on on your annuity. So you definitely want to be looking at that. Uh, you know, don't chase the just the highest return because of that. You want to have that mix of safety as well as uh, the return. Um, so to answer your question, is it a good time to get into annuities? It's a better time than it was just a couple of years ago, but I would not say it's a great time because I'm, I'm not seeing annuity rates that are particularly amazing. You know, five and a half percent, decent, but not amazing. I think you'll get better as time goes on. But, you know, it's one of those things where you don't have to put it all into annuity today, right? You, you Rates might go down. So maybe this is a great rate. You know, you know, no one knows the future, but history says that you start after a long period of rates going down, rates start to go up and we've started that period so far. So likely you'll see rates continue to stair step higher. So it's one of those things where maybe you stair step in. The amount of money you have set aside for buying a fixed annuity, maybe after this recent surge into the five and a half percent range, you put 15% of your of that capital to work in an annuity, okay? And then look for opportunities to add more over time, okay? That's probably the way I would go about it. I wouldn't wanna lock everything in at just five and a half percent. All right, let's talk, talk a bit about working from home and that's been the big trend since COVID. And, but what you're starting to see is that Wall Street firms and even the big tech giants are demanding that staff, staff show up at least three days a week. And this is because new research is starting to show that counter to what was discussed early on 
in the pandemic that people working from home were more productive. Well, the Harvard has updated that study. This was a study from 2020, and it did show that an 8% increase in the number of calls handled per hour by employees of online retailers when they shift from office to homes. That was in 2020. But more recent studies, one most importantly by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, they found a boost to efficiency became only uh, became a 4% decline actually over time as employees got used to the work from home environment. Not only did employees answer fewer calls when they were remote, the quality of those interactions suffered. It put customers on hold for longer and just were overall less productive. You also have studies from MIT and UCLA that came out and they looked at data entry workers and they showed that workers at home were 18% less productive than their peers in office. And this is why more and more companies are starting to say this hybrid environment is probably the way to go. Mainly because the way that employees suffer the most is that connection with their, uh, with their colleagues and being able to learn from them and develop skills on the job and come up with better ideas together. Something you can't really do on Zoom. Now, the flip side of it is workers are happier when they're working from home. So there's definitely going to be this balance here. And I, I don't think that this work from home uh, situation is going to be as extreme as it was just a couple years ago. It's going to slowly move into a hybrid environment that I think will be more normal. Right. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I, thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. We have now achieved 53.7 million downloads since it all began, thanks to you. So thank you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. Thank you.